with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll be looking at verses 9 and 10. Making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Please bow with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this marvelous text in front of us and for preserving these words for our edification, for your glory. We ask for the Spirit's help to apply this text, to understand this text this morning. Father, I ask for help in, in preaching your word faithfully, and I, and I ask that you would help us all to hear and to, to not just be hearers only, but doers of your word as well. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been talking about redemption. But what is the ultimate purpose of redemption? We, we often have a very man-centered understanding of salvation. We, we believe that everything is about the value and, and the worth of man and that everything God has done is only for man. Now, we don't want to minimize what God has done in redeeming man. Much has been done for man, but, but is that the ultimate purpose of redemption? Also, what, what is the goal of history? Is, is everything happening just randomly, or does God have a, a final plan for, for the entire creation? These are some of the questions that Paul answers in this text this morning. So first, let us look at the plan of cosmic redemption. Paul says, making known to us the mystery of his will. And there are two ways we need to look at this text in context. First, Paul is now praising God for the work of the Son in our salvation. And secondly, Paul is specifically praising God for, for how he showers us with grace through redemption. We saw last time that Paul is amazed at the wisdom and insight displayed by God in redemption and bringing about our salvation. God in his power and wisdom has, has orchestrated everything in our lives to take place in such a way that we would be redeemed. So Paul said that God lavished us with, with grace and all wisdom and insight. And then this morning he adds to that, making known to us the mystery of his will. Understanding the, the will of God, what God has done and is doing in the world, leads Paul to praise. So what is the mystery of his will? Well, the answer is found in verse 10. A plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. God's will has been revealed as it pertains to his plan of redemption, which, which he now states is to unite all things in Christ. But what on earth is Paul talking about? 
Let's let us look at this in detail. First, he says a plan for the fullness of time. And fullness of time here simply means the time that God has chosen or appointed. For example, in Galatians 4, Paul says, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So Christ came to earth at the the time appointed by God. So, So this redemptive plan is a plan that would take place at the time God appointed. And Sproul notes that this does not refer simply to the future. Christ has already come to bring redemption and adoption. So we're not talking just about a future event here. So Paul praises God for this plan that began at the time appointed by God. And what is the purpose of this plan? This redemptive plan revealed by God. Well, usually when we think of redemption, what do we think of? We think in terms of salvation of souls. And when we say that we have been redeemed, we we mean that we have been purchased from the slavery and guilt of sin. In fact, I labored in verse 7 to show why redemption is necessary. Because because of the fall, we are born slaves of sin and and we live lives of sin and and we we heap up God's wrath and, and we have to stand in judgment before him. So redemption is necessary because we have sinned against a holy God. And and what makes it really bad is that we are slaves from birth to this sin which damns us. And so there's this, this beautiful word redemption, meaning that though we were guilty, our sins have been washed away. Though we were slaves of sin, God has purchased us from that slavery. But is this what Paul is saying here? Because Paul already covered this element in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the, the forgiveness of our sins. Is, is Paul simply reflecting on the same truth in verses 9 and 10? It is the mystery of his will simply referring to God's plan to save sinners? No, here he is reflecting on a broader purpose of redemption. And one that we probably don't often consider. But Paul says, a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him that is in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. But what is Paul talking about? What does it mean to unite all things in Christ? And what does this have to do with redemption? Ian Hamilton puts it this way. It may be better to understand that Paul is telling the Ephesians that God's purpose, which he set forth in Christ, was to head up all things in him. Before Adam's rebellion, God's son was the head of creation. The triune God's lordship of creation was mediated through the son. God's ultimate purpose, then, is to reestablish the son as the head of creation. It is imperative for us to understand that God's purpose in salvation does not ultimately focus on us, but on his son. And he points out that Paul makes this explicit in in Romans 8, 29, for whom he foreknow, he also also predestined. Predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of of his son. It was about his son and us becoming like his son. And this might be shocking for some to hear. 
But, but the ultimate goal of redemption is, is not simply to save sinners. That the ultimate goal of, is that God be glorified through all things being reunited with Christ. That's all things being brought under the lordship of Christ as it was intended to be from the beginning of creation. We have to be careful here that we don't have a man-centered approach to the gospel. In your mind, is, is the gospel actually about the glory of God, the glory of Christ, or is it simply about man? Sproul says that, that Christ is to unite all things refers to his managerial or stewarding role in God's economy. That this word refers elsewhere in the Greek world to a, a manager of a household. The idea appears to be that the household of the cosmos has become fragmented and in disarray because the household manager allowed this to happen. Adam and his progeny. But Christ is a faithful household manager who has come to put the fragmented household back together. What is he talking about? God created the world and everything in it to glorify himself. In fact, to bring glory to Christ. Paul says in Colossians 1.16, he says this about Christ, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Everything created for Christ. The earth, animals, mankind, and everything in creation was, was created for Christ to be ruled by Him, subject to Him for the glory of God. So the world was created. And it was created good. And man was created. And he was created good. And not only that, but mankind was then given the cultural mandate to be fruitful and to multiply, to fill the earth, to subdue it, to have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And in chapter 2 of Genesis, the Lord took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. So God created man and commanded him to fill and cultivate and subdue the earth to take dominion of all creation for the glory of God, the glory of Christ. As Sproul said, Adam and his progeny were to be the household managers of the cosmos, working and laboring to fill the earth and, and cultivate it under the rulership of God. All is designed to serve God. Adam and Eve are to live in obedience to God. Animals, trees, food, water, everything in creation was to be under the rulership of God. And it was Adam and Eve's responsibility to take dominion of the earth for this very purpose. Do we think about that? Or do we simply think that Adam and Eve were created and put in the garden just to do whatever they wanted? No, they were actually to, given a purpose, a mission, to, to cultivate and fill the earth for the glory of God. But, but what happened in the fall? We, we often think of the fall in terms of the, the spiritual consequences. Man is now born in sin and under the wrath of God, and this is true. And, and we often think of the fall in terms of the physical consequences. There is now death, disease. 
pain, suffering, all, all of this is the consequence of sin. And we can think of the consequences of sin or the fall on creation itself. God cursed the earth, which means the creatures as well. The, 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 the animals, they die, they suffer, they have disease. All, all of creation has been affected by the fall. But how often do we consider the consequences of the fall in terms of our mission and purpose on earth? How how has the the fall affected who we serve, who we submit to, and, and what we seek to accomplish in our lives? All things were created to be used for the glory of God, and mankind was created to serve and obey God alone. But what happened? In the fall, mankind became slaves to sin. Slaves to, to a different master. Consider this, the disharmony and the disunity in our world. Everything was created for one purpose, to glorify God. And now you go out into the world and you ask all of these different people, who is God? What is God? What is their purpose? And everyone gives you a different answer. This is not the way God designed his world to be. But not only does mankind have a different master now, Refusing to, to serve God and, and being a slave to sin, but, but creation was no longer being used and cultivated for the glory of God. So ungodly men began using God's creation to advance their own little kingdoms. God says, cultivate the earth, take dominion over it for my glory. And mankind begins cultivating the earth in their sin and taking dominion of it for their own glory. Men begin worshiping idols made by hands instead of the living God. Using material created by God to carve into images of worship. Using animals and waters, water and resources to, to rebel against God. Men begin cultivating and subduing the earth to bring glory to themselves. Creatures that were created by God to serve Him for His glory were being used by man to advance their own little kingdoms. Trees created by God used to serve the idols of men. Precious metals created by God for His glory and their beauty and usefulness now being mined to be graven into images of worship. In this way, man and even creation was separated from its intended purpose to glorify God under Christ. And dear friends, if you don't think this is a problem, you don't understand your culture. Why do we have mass shootings? Why do we have abortion? Why why is there murder? Why is there rape? All of this has to do with the fact that mankind is no longer living for its intended purpose to glorify God. Every evil you can think of in society is the result of this. There is disharmony, disunity in man's purpose on earth to glorify God under Christ. Think of our own country. Men and women deny or reject God's authority. Men and women, and figure this, even professing Christians 
denying the lordship of Christ. Professing Christians, I can take Jesus as Savior and and not as Lord. And men and women are taking dominion of creation even today, but not for the glory of God. And they they take dominion for themselves and and they refuse to acknowledge Christ's authority and his lordship. And they even take the creation and worship it. What does Paul say in Romans 1? They, They worshiped and served the creation, the creature, rather than the creator. So here's what Paul is telling us. God's great plan of redemption is not just about mankind being saved from hell, but about the entire cosmos being reunited to its original purpose through the mediatorial work of Christ. Essentially, through Christ reversing the curse. Ian Hamilton says this, The Bible has a breathtaking panoramic understanding of redemption. God's redeeming work in Christ transcends rescuing sinners from their bondage to sin and to Satan. God's redeeming work in Christ embraces the totality of the cosmos. The redeeming grace that God has made to abound toward us in all wisdom and insight has an ultimate end in view that goes beyond the redemption of individual sinners. He summarizes it well by saying, the whole creation that was lost to God through the fall will be restored to God through Christ. Consider what Paul says In Romans 8, the creation itself longing. What does he say? For for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Paul is saying it's as though creation itself is speaking out and saying, I was designed to serve God. And you, sinful man, have subjected it to Futility. And so the creation longs to be restored to its intended purpose to glorify God. And Paul is praising God here in Ephesians for revealing his plan to do just that. To reunite all things under Christ. This is why Jesus is given all authority both in heaven and earth. What does Paul say in Philippians? Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. There it is. God exalted Christ so that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess the Lordship of Christ. Dear friends, at the end of the age, there will be people in hell. But even they will know without a doubt that Jesus is Lord. And they will confess it. And they will bow their knees before Him. Understanding that He is God. Everything united in Christ. This is God's plan in redemption, that everything in heaven and on earth bow before the lordship 
of Christ. Everything united in Christ the way it was created to be before the fall, but, but not just a return to the, to the pre-fall state, but, but something much more grander because of Christ's atoning work. And no, we won't experience the, the fullness of this plan until the return of Christ, but this is a present reality. And this is what we currently enjoy and look forward to more in the future. R.C. Sproul says, Our future hope is in the consummation of the kingdom of God. Even though we live in a period that some have described as a post-Christian era, we know that God has purposed to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head. God predestined from all eternity, not only that Jesus should be Savior, but that Jesus should be King of kings and Lord of Lords, the goal of creation is neither chaos nor disharmony, but unity. And the point of unity will be his anointed king. What a wonderful plan. And what a wonderful thing for for God to reveal this plan to us. Dear friends, do you ever long for justice? Injustice would, would no longer take place. You, 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 you hear about things such as kids being trafficked and, and the pains and sufferings that they go through. Do, do you ever long to be free of all the pain and suffering that, that you experience and, and, and the, the difficulties of death, the, the pain of death? God's purpose and redemption is to one day bring us to a place where such things will be no more. A, a new heaven and earth. Where there won't be pain, there won't be suffering, there won't be this disunity and disharmony. Do we understand that God's law, for example, is meant to protect us? And one of the reasons why we are so vulnerable and at danger in our society is because men don't obey God. But one day that will no longer be the case. Do we long for that? This is what Paul is is praising God for. God has a plan not just to save our souls, but but to to bring about a world where where this is the case. So we should praise God, not only for this marvelous plan, but, but also for God revealing this to us. Paul called this plan the mystery of God's will. It was a mystery in that God did not fully reveal this plan in the Old Testament. So so we often think of the Old Testament saints hearing directly from God and, and oh, how I wish that I could just have heard from God the way that they did. But what did God do? He gave them little pieces here and there. And they really did not understand fully what God was going to do. So, so we actually have more of a reason to, to praise God than any Old Testament saint because, because we have the fullness of revelation that they did not have. They look forward to, to understanding and knowing the things that have been revealed to us. So we should praise God that we live in a time and a place where we have this revelation. We actually know God's good plan for our entire cosmos, the entire world. We praise God for revealing to us His his good and perfect purpose for the entire universe. And thirdly, we can praise God for 
the reason God revealed this plan to us. Paul said he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. And now according to his purpose could be translated as his good pleasure or kind intent. This word could be translated as a delightful, fixed intention of benevolent favor. God has revealed his redemptive plan, not only for our souls, but for the entire universe. Why? His good pleasure. His kind intent. Chapel says, what are the qualifications or conditions for receiving this revelation? There are none. The Bible says that God revealed this mystery to his people according to his good pleasure. And this good pleasure was purposed in Christ. The salvation offered to sinners and the reuniting of all things in Christ has been revealed to us because of God's kindness to us. This is a kindness to us. Listen, we don't, we don't have to be frantic like the world. We don't have to fear that if too many trees are cut down, the world is going to implode. We don't have to worry about too many cows being alive. The, the world is constantly trying to figure out what's going to happen. Are aliens going to visit us and, and just take us over? What's going to happen in this world? But dear friends, you and I have the privilege of knowing God's good plan for this universe. This is a kindness to us. We, we can say that no matter what things look like right here and right now, we know the ultimate plan of creation. We know what's going to happen. And there's nobody who can stop it. We're not left wondering well, what's going to happen to the world tomorrow. We understand God's good plan. Does this not magnify the work of Christ in redemption. Think of this mighty Savior. Not only does He free us from the guilt and power of sin, but He restores the very purpose for which the entire world was created and brings everything back together in unity in a way even better before the fall. And not only did the the sacrifice of Christ save sinners, but it changed the very trajectory of the entire cosmos because it was only through Christ's mediatorial work that all things would be restored, eventually ending in a new heaven and a new earth. This is all because of Christ's sacrifice. Not just that you and I avoid hell, but that there's actually a new heaven and a new earth that is totally perfect, with no more fall, no more consequences of sin, no more sin. Have you ever thought about this? We usually sing about this every Christmas, don't we? Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Joy to the earth. The Savior reigns. And and what's the benefit of the Savior reigning? He comes to make His blessings flow. How far? Far as the curse is found. This is what Paul is saying. God's work in redemption, Christ's work in redemption is not just to save sinners 
but to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. What a savior that can do this. But how do we apply this text? Let's look at a few points of application here. So this mystery has been made known to us. And, and part of what Paul means here by mystery is not that it's something that, that's, that's a hidden knowledge that can't be known, but, but simply it's hidden from mankind and not revealed until it happens. People understood that there was a Messiah coming, but much of that was a mystery until Christ came and atoned for our sins. But the mystery was then revealed. But because of the way this works, there, there is still a lot of mystery pertaining to the specifics of redemption. So Paul understood the, the mystery of this plan. It was revealed, but Paul did not know that you and I here today would be sitting here in 2023 in a place called America being redeemed. Now what does this mean? A lot of the specifics of redemption is still a mystery. Who will be redeemed is, is still a mystery. Now, why is this important for me to note? Because we need to understand there, there is no magic formula that guarantees that others will be redeemed. There, there is mystery. Okay, because you are born in a Christian home does not mean you will be redeemed. There, there is mystery. We don't know everything. Not, not everyone who hears the gospel will repent and believe. And if we don't understand this, we will easily get discouraged and even tempted to wonder why the gospel is no longer working. And this is what often happens. Do we believe that the gospel is the power of God into salvation? Yes, we do. Does that mean that everyone who hears it is going to automatically be saved like a magic formula? No, because the work of the Holy Spirit is a mystery to us. And because some people don't understand that, they say, well, I've shared the gospel many times and nobody responded, so maybe I need to change my message. Or maybe I just need to stop because the, the gospel no longer works. No, we need to understand that there is mystery. We don't know what the Holy Spirit is doing. But let me also say that this means that there is no guarantee that, for example, if we raise our children correctly, that they will automatically follow Christ. Not understanding this will cause you to carry burdens that you should not carry. Should you be burdened for the souls of your children? Yes. Should you be burdened that perhaps you did not do every right thing that, that would have lined up and made your children saved? No. Because even if there was... a a totally perfect way for you to raise a child. And if you could just raise your child this way, it's guaranteed they'll be saved. Who would be bold enough to say that they ever did that? That you were able to figure out that way and do it so perfectly that salvation was guaranteed. We are responsible for sowing seeds, for, for planting, for watering. But, but who provides the increase? God. And we need to understand this. Otherwise, we will carry those burdens. Well, perhaps if I would have just done this, they would have been saved. Perhaps if I just would have done this that way, they would have been saved. No, we don't have the Holy Spirit on the leash. But now let us look at this positively. Because God's will for the redemption of individuals and nations is still a mystery, this means that we should be hopeful and optimistic. Why? 
Because the current state of the unbelievers you know is no guarantee that they won't be redeemed. Do you understand that? Many of us tend to think, well, well, if this person was going to be saved, they would have been saved by now. I have no hope. I raised my child in a Christian home. If ever they were going to turn to Christ, it would have been when they were under my roof. This is how we think. But, this, but, but, but redemption is a mystery here. We don't know what the Holy Spirit is doing. Perhaps your child will, won't turn to Christ in your home, but, but as soon as they leave, the Holy Spirit convict them, regenerate their hearts, and they turn to Christ. It is a mystery. So we should be hopeful. But this also means that the current state of our, our cities and our nation does not guarantee that, that we are somehow doomed without hope. God's will is a mystery. Perhaps it is His will to bring about a revival like, unlike ever before. But perhaps it's God's will to, to save thousands or even millions this very week. It's a mystery to us. When, when we look at the, the history of revival, they didn't know revival was coming, but, but suddenly 50,000 people are genuinely converted. Redemption is a mystery. So we should be hopeful. Dear friends, we know that Christ is reigning and that all authority has been given to Him. The history of revivals and reformation is a reminder that we don't know what God will do, but perhaps it will be great. R.C. Sproul says, I can't think of anything designed to create more optimism in the church of Jesus Christ than to know that the future of this planet, the future of reality, is in the hands of God alone even though some things are still a mystery. We know that Christ has all authority. We know the kingdom is advancing. And we know that the, that the history of the entire world is in the hands of a good God who has a good plan to unite all things in Christ. Should this not make us hopeful? For a final point of application here. If God's plan in redemption is to unite all things in heaven and on earth under Christ, how does this affect the way that we live right now? I want you to think about this. Again, what happened in redemption? God created man. He had a purpose. He had a mission. But he could no longer fulfill his mission. Why? Because he, because he now had a sinful nature. So God redeems him. He saves him from his sins and saves him from the, the slavery of sin. Why? To just live how he wants? No. To fulfill the mission that he was given from the very beginning. To fill, cultivate, subdue for the glory of God. What is, what is the purpose of Jesus telling us He has been given all authority? What, what is the purpose of Jesus telling us to pray that the kingdom would come and that God's will would be done here on earth exactly as it is in heaven? What is the purpose of that? Because Christ is uniting all things in Him 
things, on, things in, in heaven and things on earth. And, and again, though this will not happen perfectly until Christ returns, this has started right here, right now. I want you to listen to what Chapel says here. This is a, a longer quote, but it's really good. This is not only is it our purpose to unite all things, but to submit all things to the Lordship of Christ. It is our purpose to be involved in redeeming the whole of life for the glory of Christ. We refuse to compartmentalize the secular away from the claims of Christ. As Abraham Kuyper said, there is not one square inch of this world over which Jesus does not stand and say, this is mine. Therefore, we believe that the influence of the Savior is rightly expressed throughout culture in the arts, business, government, education, science, and all of society. And those who are united to Him are to be sought and light for Him in every place. Since He is Lord of all, He is the ruler not only of culture, but of cultures. Christians must be committed to seeing that all nations and people know His Lordship. We must remind God's people of their obligation to unite all peoples in Christ through the proclamation of His kingdom of mercy. What are we doing in spreading the gospel? Uniting all things under Christ. Christ is King currently. Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth right now. And it is our responsibility to acknowledge His Lordship in every area of our lives, whether you eat or drink or sleep, whatever you do, you ought to do it for the glory of God. This is recognizing that that there is one who is Lord over you. And part of our purpose, again, for, for fulfilling the Great Commission is not just that souls will be saved, but that as disciples are made, they acknowledge Christ's Lordship in every area of their lives, working to submit everything around them to the Lordship of Christ. Fulfilling the cultural mandate, just as intended from the very beginning of creation. God has not saved you and I just so that we die and go to heaven. He saved you and I to set us free from sin so that we would submit to Christ the the way mankind should have done from the very, very beginning. And He set us free from sin so that we would work and cultivate and fill the earth and take dominion for Christ the way man should have done from the very beginning. And He has given us the Great Commission so that others would be saved and set free from sin as well so that they would do the same. Our mission through the Great Commission and the cultural mandate is to be instruments in God's hands in uniting all things under the Lordship of Christ. May we be faithful to our mission. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the extent of redemption. That Christ is reversing the curse as as far as the curse is found. 
Father, you set mankind on this earth to, to, to cultivate it for your glory. And, and we messed up big time. Sinning against you, refusing to do what, what you have called us to do, but, but you've, you've, you've made a way for us to, to go back and, and do what you have commanded us to do from the very beginning. And Father, you knew that we could never work perfectly, so, so you sent your Son to die on the cross for our sins. Even our sins of failing to do what you've called us to do as Christians. Father, we do ask that if anyone here does not know this wonderful redemption of being set free from the slavery of sin and being set free from the guilt of sin, we ask that you would would regenerate their hearts, Lord, that they would would see this, this wonderful Savior and turn to Him this very moment. Lord, that they would no longer carry the weight, the burden of their transgressions against you, but they, that they would lay them down at the foot of the cross and receive your forgiveness. And Father, may you be glorified in all of this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.